talking about Christian community. Excuse me? Where's the you? Go to the next slide. (laughs) It's there. We are talking about Calm Nitty this morning. Honestly, I thought that was going to come from Sharon Lewis, really, but... Sharon, does your t- is your tongue bleeding from biting it and holding it? If Sharon would have seen that earlier, she would have had her red pen out, I promise you. Calm nitty, man. Find a place for you. We're talking about um, the importance. And, and this morning, let me just tell you guys, the end of summer, this morning we had, what, 185 people in Sunday school? Is that right, Dave? 185 people in Sunday school. Amen. But I say that, 185 people in Sunday school, and though that's awesome for us, that's great, I'm not, I'm not talking about those numbers for numbers' sake, but because I believe in the importance and the significance of small groups being able to come together. And, and I want to share something with you, because the Bible makes it clear um, in, in how we relate as believers. And let me just say this, we were created as social beings. When God made us and formed us in His infinite wisdom, He saw after He created Adam that it was not good for man to be alone. And you may say, okay, pastor, I understand that, but that has to deal with, um, that has to deal with His relationship to a wife. And so yes, God did, after He made that statement, He did create for Adam um, Eve, and they were married there in the Garden of Eden under God's institution. But that, does not, that is not the end. God understood Um, that we need interaction with other people. Interaction with other people, being social beings, engaging them, relating to them, can be very incredibly helpful for us as believers. In fact, if you'll notice on your Digging Deeper Through the Week section of the bulletin, there are several verses that I have placed in there for you to be able to look through and study and maybe write and put up in a prominent place. Because the New Testament is full of verses dealing with how we relate to one another. And let me just rattle some of these off, okay? We're to pray for one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens, build one another up, confess our faults to one another, love one another, be kindly to affectionate to one another, preferring others even over ourselves. We're to serve one another, bear with one another, submit to one another, spur one another on, be hospitable to one another, and to greet one another. The Bible makes it clear that there are certain, there's a certain standard for us as believers and that God in saying do this to one another says that we are not to be involved in our relationship with Him and not expect to encounter and benefit from the lives of other people. And that's why I want us to go open your Bible this morning to Hebrews, if you would, chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. This is one of those one another verses that that I shared with you uh, this morning. Hebrews chapter 10.
verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He has consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let's stop there. Let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Isn't it funny that for the role that the church plays in the work of the kingdom, I can't find anywhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, that tells me that I'm supposed to go to church. I can't find a commandment anywhere that says, as a believer, go to church. Now you may say, does that mean then that I don't go to church? No, the church was instituted, was empowered, and serves an awesome purpose in the kingdom of God. And even though we can't find a verse that says you have to go to church, we do find a verse that says don't stop meeting together. That's not to say that the church and and being a part of the living local body, physical body to the world of Christ, that's not to say we're to not be a part of that. We are. And there's value in what we do here in this worship service. But let me tell you this. Out of all of those one another's that you find in Scripture, love one another, bear with one another, serve one another, stir one another up, out of all of those that you see, it is almost impossible for us to accomplish those in here. Think about this for a moment. All of those one another's that the Bible speaks of as being so important, those commandments of God, it is almost impossible for us to accomplish those in this setting. That there's really no other avenue in our church life. There is really no other vehicle that we have outside of small groups to be able to accomplish the one another's. We literally, any Sunday, either in a Sunday school class or a home group or some type of accountability or prayer group that you can be a part of, those groups have the potential to meet, accomplish, be a part of every one of those one another verses. Guys, to be a Christian and to not be a part of a small group is like buying a brand new Porsche and never taking it over 40. That's what it's like. Those small groups, of course, I'm talking about doing that in, on the interstate. I'm not encouraging anyone to speed. Those small groups. Guys, let me tell you something else. I, some of the most awesome prayer warriors, some of the most amazing saints that God has used in my life, So when I look out and I remember those men who had such an impact on my life, I can tell you every one of those amazing men and women all had one thing in common. They all had a small group that they were a part of, that they poured into or that they were poured into. And I want you to see three things this morning. There are three needs that we're able to find from Hebrews chapter 10. The first one is this, that we need to be honest with who we are. 
We need to be honest with who we are. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says. He says to spur one another or provoke one another to love and good works. To encourage one another. Think about those three things. We are to be provoked to love. We are to be provoked to good works. And we are to encourage one another. Just, there are three right there, just out of Hebrews 10. So what the writer is telling me, that underlying truth that he is saying, is we need to spur one another on as believers to love because we struggle with that. We need to spur one another on and provoke one another to good works in the Lord because our default is not set on good works. We need to encourage one another because we easily become discouraged. And you know, if you think about it, you may be very honest people. You may encounter, you may, you may be very honest with your husband and wife or wife. You may be very honest with your friends. You may be very honest with your coworkers, but what I have found is that one of the easiest ways to be a deceiver is me deceiving myself. Me not being honest with me. And you know, if you think about it, sometimes we may struggle with that. Personal honesty. We may make, it an, we may make every effort in the world to be honest with everybody we encounter but ourselves. And you know, a lot of times we really need to stop and just be honest with ourselves. Because the Bible says that we are not naturally loving. The Bible says that naturally we don't do good works. The Bible reminds us just who we are naturally. And if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we would probably see, yeah, on my best day, I am still a man that sins. On my best day, man at his very best is still but a man. I struggle. I don't always love. I don't always accomplish good works. The writer of, or the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. If the writer is telling us that we need to stir one another up to good works, to love and good works. By the way, love is the motivation. Good works is the manifestation. It's not just that we love inside, but that love finds an avenue out of our life to be able to do it. How do we stir one another up? How do we do that? Well, first, we have to be agents of love. As Christians, we have to be able to look in our heart and say, God, is my heart full of the love that you have shown me so that I can share it with others? God wants to fill our hearts with love for the purpose that it may flow out. So first, if we're going to spur one another on to love and good works, we have to be able to have love in here. So it always comes back to us. It always begins with our heart. It is always something that we need to look and examine ourselves first. We need to invite them to participate, to join with us as we love and do good works. We need to urge them, nudge them to, to take that step to serve the Lord in some capacity to impact somebody else's life. Friends, I've been in the ministry for 17 years. I've heard a lot of reasons why people leave the church. Heard, I've heard, you can't even imagine, and that's just 17 years. You get somebody that's been in it for 30 or 40 or 50. Can you imagine how many excuses they've heard for why someone leaves the church? But out of all the reasons I've heard for someone to leave a church, there's one I've never heard. 
I have never heard anybody say, I left that church or I left that small group because they love me too much. They love me too much. Friends, are we going to realize and be honest with ourselves? Maybe in your heart, you can't spur one another on to someone else on to love and good works because in your heart, you're still harboring bitterness and anger, resentment, feelings of revenge, envy. Those type of things are, are clouding out and, and hindering you from being able to be an expression, an example of that love that God wants. So we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with ourselves and say, God, at my best day, I'm still a wretched man. Oh, wretched man that I am. The Apostle Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall save me from the body of this death? Be honest with yourself. We need other people to help us love. We need other people to spur us on to good works. Notice the second thing. We need others for accountability. We need others for accountability. Why? Because men at best are still at best men. That's the truth. Let me give you five reasons why we need accountability. I'm going to rattle these off real quick. First is the flesh is weak. We need accountability because really one of us is only one yielding of temptation away from a dangerous fall. The flesh is weak. The danger is real, number two. There is a real danger for falling off the spiritual wagon, if you will. Number three, the price is high. When we slip up spiritually, it does not just offer bruises, but it can, very, it can indeed break bones, it can break fellowship. Number four, the battle is raging. This isn't us serving God in a vacuum. There are forces that are bent for our destruction. We do have an enemy. His name is the devil, Satan. And his purpose is to stand against and oppose all of the works of God and to steal, kill, and destroy, the Bible tells us. But the fifth reason why we need accountability is the reward is great. The reward for living the life that God has called us to is so incredibly great. In fact, in his book, The Life God Rewards, Bruce Wilkinson said one of the great problems with the modern day church is we have forgot how beautiful, we have forgot how amazing those rewards are that God has for his people. In light of those amazing rewards, can you imagine just for a moment, can you imagine for those that the book of Revelation says were faithful even unto death, they found themselves before the throne of Christ. And Christ Himself placed a crown on their head. Guys, can you imagine? Can you imagine that? That God would reward me and you so richly for doing something we wouldn't have done without Him, couldn't have done without His power. So he told us what to do, gave us the power to do it. And when we did it, the spotless Lamb of God, in whom every knee will bow and tongue will confess, who is worthy of all praise, would place a crown on our heads. What an amazing God we serve. The flesh is weak, the danger is real, the price is high, the battle is raging, and the reward is great. Accountability, though is not for the careless and the proud. 
Not that they don't need it, but that they won't accept it. For the person, for the believer that doesn't really care so much, they haven't made Christ the main priority in their life, they're not really intentionally seeking His will, they don't really care about those things, they pretty much use their salvation as fire insurance, they're, not, they're, they're a carnal Christian, if you will, those people are not going to be so concerned about accountability because frankly they don't really care about their decisions. They are not concerned about the consequences of, of sinful or fleshy decisions made. But for those that do care, for those of us that do care about the next step we take, for those of us that are humbled that God who took us, who were enemies of His, made us friends, called us, put us on His team, and gave us the opportunity to carry the banner of love, for those of us that are humbled and serious about that relationship, for those of us that know the dangers, for those of us that want, do not want the name of Christ drugged through the mud in our decisions, for those of us that take that seriously, accountability is important. For the proud, the person that says, I don't need anybody else, I can do it on my own, that person is going to find all too, they're going to find out all too seriously that you can't, that it cannot be done. The Bible, if you notice, verse 25, after he says what we are to do with one another, notice he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner is of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. You note takers, I want you to remember something out of Hebrews. Hebrews is incredibly theological the writer dives back in and really pulls out and, and, and really uh, links the Old Testament to the New Testament in a way that we really don't find quite on that level in the New Testament. And he goes back and he's so incredibly well-versed with the Old Testament and the laws and, and all of those things, and he brings them out to the front. And really the theme of Hebrews is that Christ is better. And in the midst of all of these, these theological, these revelations of how God and how Christ is better, how the new covenant is better than the old covenant, in all of this theological rhetoric that he is giving, he will on occasion, in between moments, in between subjects, in between titles, he will deal with something incredibly applicable. He will deal with the man's mind in giving them knowledge. But in the midst of those theses that he writes in there, he will interject something that deals with the application of the believer. And I want you to think about this. In, in Hebrews chapter 2, he warns the believers not to drift away from the Word. That's one of those applicable moments. Do not drift away from the Word. That's Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, he warns about doubting the Word. So now it's drifting from the Word, and then it gets to doubting the Word. And in chapter 5 and 6, he warns the believers that they have become dull to the Word. And here in chapter 10, he says in verse 26, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. He's talking about deliberate sin. And in chapter 10, verse 39, he says, but we are not of those who draw back to destruction. First, 
was drifting. Second was doubting the Word. Third was uh, becoming dull. And then deliberate sin. And then destruction. Throughout this letter of Hebrews, he's warning the believer who takes that first step of drifting from the Word, which ultimately ends in some form of destruction of their life. Friends, I've seen it many times. When people stop or their relationship with Christ is hindered. Something is, is hindering their relationship with Christ personally. It's only a matter of time before their relationship with other Christians is hindered as well. One of the first steps on that road away out of fellowship with God is walking out from your group. Those groups are so incredibly important because they remind us our need they remind us that we need accountability. And the last one, the third point, we need encouragement. Most of us guys feel like our individual vigilance is enough. We often feel as though we could just be a David fighting Goliath all the time. Well, the truth, does that, is that really the case in your life? Can you really live the life that God wants you to live apart from being a part of an iron sharpening iron? Can you really be all you need to be? Do you really have such an inflated view of yourself and your abilities that you're going to look at God's setup and God's system and say, you know what, I don't need other people? Not only did God create us as social beings, the gospel is a social message. It's for, it transferred from one person to another. God uses other people in our life to sharpen us, to hone us, to mold us, to make us. That's the whole reason he has teachers. Are you pleased with your development? Right now, let me just speak to those of you who do not have a small group, who are not part of a, of a Sunday school class, you're not part of a group of believers that meet together to pray, to read scripture, to hold each other accountable. Let me ask you a question. Are you pleased with where you are? In regards to your spiritual development, do you look at yourself and say, yeah, I think, I'm, I think I'm doing good. If meeting together with other believers promises great results, promises to grow you and mold you and encourage you and strengthen you and teach you, if you're pleased with where you are right now, let me just encourage you to raise your standards. Because what could you be what could you be if you were surrounded by other believers? Pouring into you, praying for you, teaching you, loving you, serving you. For those of you that are not part of a small group and you say, yeah, pastor, I'm pleased with my spiritual maturity. Do you realize how selfish that mindset is? Do you realize that? To say, you know what, I don't need a small group. But let me ask you something. When did your Christian walk ever become all about you? Show me that passage of Scripture that says once you become a child of Christ, everything revolves around you. Friend, if you are pleased with your level of spiritual maturity and you say, I've never been a part of a small group, why don't you take the emphasis off of yourself and realize that there are people in this church if you are that spiritual giant that you think you are, why aren't you pouring into someone else's life? 
Why aren't you sitting across from the table and listening to their stories? Why aren't you sharing what you know? Why aren't you pouring into their life? Why aren't you modeling that for them? Because you know what? Our Christian life is not all about us. There are people every Sunday in those small groups, in our Sunday school classes, there are people in our home groups who are there. And I know I may not be teaching them anything new. But you know what? They are there to listen and to help and to be a part of people who may not quite be to that level of spiritual maturity. And when you think about it, isn't that what we do? The Great Commission requires us to learn to know the teachings of Christ. And then what? Hold on to them? And boast about how much we know and how many memorized verses we have up here? No! We get that information for the purpose of giving it to other people. Small groups are instrumental in us accomplishing the Great Commission. There are not, maybe not a lot of ways we can be involved, but you know what? You pouring into someone else's life, well, that has eternal, eternal reward. Giant sequoia trees. I looked this up. The giant sequoia tree is the largest living thing on earth. They can get as tall as 300 feet. Most generally, they don't grow over 300 feet and rarely do. They mostly stop at 275 feet because once they get up to 275, they're taller than most everything else around and they're, they're, they're prime targets for lightning. But the tallest ones get up to 300 feet Tall. They can be as much as 17 feet wide in diameter. For those of you that want a mental picture, picture Arrowhead Stadium's football field, or any football field for that matter, and picture it instead of laying down flat, standing up. 300 feet is 100 yards. And you would think for something to be so large, something so tall, the largest living organism, which is a tree, you would think that its roots would go down at least 100 or 200 feet in order to sustain all of the weight and the balance and to stand against the wind. But the interesting thing about the giant sequoia is it has no taproot. The taproot is one in the center that goes down as deep as it possibly can to grab all of the water and then bring it back up. It has no taproot. The giant sequoia's tree root system, fully grown, can take up an acre of ground, but it never goes deeper than 12 feet. A tree, 100 yards tall, does not even have roots that go to the five-yard line under the ground. Is that a flaw in God's design? Did God mess up when He made the giant sequoia tree? Not at all. They're still standing. They stand. They're supported. Not off of their own weight. But because those branches, because those roots go so shallow along the ground they're able to grab a hold and weave in and out of all of the other trees in the forest either sequoias or or oaks or whatever tree happens to be around the sequoia is able to stand not because itself is an, is, a, is engineered beautifully but because it relies on the roots of others to provide support underneath the ground you and i need need other people we're never going to we're never going to take it seriously until we come to that realization but i want to end with this not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner is of some but exhorting one another 
and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What is the day? It's the day of the Lord. Does that mean it's the rapture? When Jesus calls all of his believers home in the twinkling of an eye? Maybe. Is it the day of judgment when God judges the world by the standard of his son, Jesus Christ? Maybe. Is that the day when your heart stops beating and you're immediately ushered into the presence of God for it is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment? Oh, I don't know. I can tell you what others think, but what I'll tell you is this. What he is doing is jolting. He's grabbing a hold of those believers. And say, guys, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta stick together. You need each other. Because time is short. That's what he's saying. He puts the end in mind. And friends, I believe if time was short then, time is even shorter now. And we have an obligation, a privilege, to be serious about the gospel. If I'm serious about the gospel, I'm serious about my relationship with him. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Take your relationship serious. This morning, maybe when I told you that there is a day approaching when you will stand before God and in your heart right now, you know you're not ready. I'm going to invite you to step out where you're standing, where you're sitting. I'm going to invite you to come down and meet me as soon as we start singing. Say, Pastor, I'm not ready to meet the Lord and today's the day I know I need to be ready. Church, maybe it's a rededication. Maybe you have an issue you want to pray about. Maybe you haven't been taking God seriously and today is the day. Maybe you've never been baptized and followed in that first step of obedience. Maybe you know this is the church that God wants you to be a part of and today is the day you come forward to signify to this church you want to unite with us. You want to lock roots with this place to serve the Lord for glory.